Have you ever heard the expression, there's no there there? Well, let's ask the question, is there there there? That's our podcast from the full-service digital storytelling agency, Graphic Machine. I'm Matt Staub. I'm a partner here at Graphic Machine, here with the other two partners of Graphic Machine, Brian Jones. Hello. And Patience Jones. Hello. This week, episode 64, the Mea Culpa edition. Sometimes brands have bad things happen to them. Sometimes bad things happen to consumers. Sometimes brands have things they can control that they screw up. Sometimes things happen out of their control. Sometimes they say sorry. When should they say sorry? Do they say sorry too much? Not enough? And how do you still listen and communicate and hold true to your brand message when you are sorry and you're not consumed by that mess up, but you forge on? Lots of questions there, and I apologize. (laughs) This is in the news this week because Subway's spokesperson, Jared, famously, his house was raided. And we don't know if it was actually connected to something he did, but it was part of an investigation for someone that he had worked with in his foundation on child pornography charges. So Subway quickly responds to this and breaks ties and removes all reference to Jared. Was that too fast because he didn't actually do anything wrong? Or was it kind of the court of a public opinion required that action? What do you guys think? Anytime you have a situation like that, you kind of have to take a step back. And I don't think they made the wrong decision to pull their advertising using his image or likeness or any reference to him in the interim until things get sorted out. Because while he hasn't been charged yet, it may not be charged, it's more important to sort of let everything get sorted out. It does allow Subway to pivot a bit and not be as associated with him. Yeah, I would be surprised if they did anything like saying he's a terrible person or he's guilty in advance of any actual finding on that. But I do think it's not surprising to anybody that from a business perspective and in terms of profits and opportunities that as a business you can't have somebody who may be tied to child pornography on your billboards. Some may say, well, that's really unfair to Jared and people who find themselves in his situation. But that's kind of the flip side of becoming a spokesperson for something. According to the terms of your contract, you can be canned for all kinds of things, including that you no longer make the brand look good. The thing I wonder about with this is, is it because the public has a perception that he's guilty? Or is it really that the risk is that he could be guilty of something later and they're going to go ahead and nip this in the bud. It seems like it's maybe a little bit of both, but more the public perception, and really that's the reality. Unfortunately, because he was their primary spokesperson and has been for years, they really had little choice except to put themselves in a position to pivot once they figure out what the situation is. It is an interesting conundrum of a company that does put so much on one person's shoulders being their spokesperson. For all purposes, they are basically the face of the company. Sure. Just as a society, we have kind of a sliding scale of wrongness that we're able to stomach and tolerate. And I think if somebody said, you know, Jared may have cheated on his taxes, which I'm not suggesting that he did. That's just an example. But if Jared may have cheated on his taxes, we probably find that more palatable than Jared may have been viewing child pornography. Yeah, that's Child like, pornography is kind of like the very the, end of the spectrum. Third, third rail. Yeah. yeah. It's never a mistake. It's not something you can explain away. You can't say, well, I didn't realize. So the reaction to something related to that is going to be much more swift than if he had a speeding ticket. So how do you think that in our connected world where we're on social media and talking with one another and sort of carrying on conversations from various points around the globe, 
how much do you allow to transpire before, as a company, you get involved in any sort of situation? That's what I find pretty fascinating. If you change something about your business model or the way that your business operates and people have a negative reaction to it, because that tends to be people's first reaction as a negative one, how much do you let just sort of go before you begin to respond or apologize or intervene? It's an extension of the idea of should you stand by your man in a case like this or should you run? And somebody didn't really apologize. They just, they said they were deeply shocked and concerned and then they dumped him. So how much do you stand by versus react and sort of back down in the face of criticism? Is that kind of an extension of the same question? Absolutely. It's a one that actually not as serious, hopefully, as the Jared situation, but I think businesses do find themselves in these conundrums all the time where maybe it's as simple as they took a dish off their menu at a restaurant and suddenly everyone is up in arms about that. Coke found themselves years ago, they changed the formula of their soft drink, and that was sort of maybe the first high-profile one in this particular era. They ended up apologizing. Some places choose not to, and they just forge ahead how do you make that call? Should you apologize or does that get in the way of moving forward? My own personal opinion is if it's something that does not have legal ramifications. So for instance, if it's you've changed your logo or you changed the Coke formula or you started using a different soundtrack on your ads, that you can handle pretty much any way you want, depending on who your customers are, what your business voice has been up to this point. If your business known for just kind of putting stuff out there and seeing what happens, stick with that. If it's something that involves any kind of potential criminal or civil exposure in a legal way, you don't have that luxury. The first call you need to make is to your legal department because unfortunately, everything that you say or do or respond to has the potential to create additional problems for you as a business. Interesting that you bring that up because my history in brand America was getting into a lot of respectful disagreements with my legal department because the legal environment that you speak of is absolutely the case that you have to be very careful, but the transparency and the agility of communication and the humanizing aspects of being a brand that can say they're sorry is directly in contrast with that. So what people are wanting to hear, which is we messed up, we're sorry, and we want to make this better and we're listening is also admission. And sometimes we made the call that, you know what, this is going to get us sued, but it's better for us to take responsibility for it and say it's our fault, or we're going to get sued anyway, so who cares? I guess is one of the other ways to look at it. Yeah, and that's a great example, because there definitely is that cost-benefit analysis. And okay, maybe even if there is a lawsuit, we're still going to come out looking better or retaining our customers. But it's kind of like back in the print days, before you issued the press release, you know, running it by legal, running it by everybody you needed to run it by, that oftentimes doesn't happen in these situations because the message doesn't get conveyed to the person who's doing the social community management. They get an order from somebody or they're trying to help and they say, you know what, we're going to get this all sorted out. And it's the time. The amount of time we had maybe 15 years ago has shrunk to almost nothing now. And you look at even brands crashing on a hashtag and you didn't realize what the hashtag was really about. Now suddenly you're having to apologize. These sorts of things happen even in the midst of the communications platforms that you often use to wrangle the conversation. And it can be really, really frustrating for brands that are based on being really friendly, really involved with their customers, really communicative, transparent. And in the situations like that where you can't communicate, 
you can't communicate. You can't even communicate that you can't communicate. Right. You can't say, like, the lawyers have said not to talk to you. It's radio silence. Which and, that is the worst thing to tell a social team, too. Just be quiet. Let it pass. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, yeah. e- even in the couple of hours it took Subway to react to the Jared situation, there were millions of tweets about it and all of them impugning Subway in the process. So it's incredibly frustrating. So in that example, if Subway says nothing and everybody else is talking about Subway, no prosecutor, no court, no other attorney is going to say, well, all these people were saying terrible things about Subway and they remain silent. But the second Subway does say something, that's the thing everybody leaps on and says, they said they were sorry. And now it turns out that there's, it's much worse than anybody thought, but that apology attaches. So is there anything that you can do in that situation, aside from saying sorry, that helps you navigate that conversation? I mean, assuming that the guidance isn't silence, and this is a pretty serious one, but if it wasn't as serious as this particular case, is there something that you could begin to navigate away from that particular issue? Or is it just you have to let it run its course? So in this case, it's very reactive, but we've talked about other changes that people react poorly to. And one of the keys, I think, is in this communication strategy is that you spend a lot of time communicating things up front, what you're planning, what you're thinking, how you're evolving. Some of the companies that didn't really bring people along, like the JCPenney example that we've talked about in the past, where they totally revolutionized their store, everyone hated it, they changed everything, and they didn't bring people along with them on the journey. But then once it's happened, unfortunately, there's the master communicator tactic of kind of talking out both sides of your mouth a little bit, and sort of explaining yourself and letting people understand what happened and what you're going to do about it and kind of moving forward. So it's kind of a sorry, not sorry, but we're also listening. I think that's what a strong brand response can be. Yeah, I agree. I think something along the lines of we're listening. We understand that you're frustrated. Please contact us at and then set up a special landing page, set up a special email address, put yourself in the position of receiving information instead of giving the information, but make yourself a welcome receiver. You are actively asking people to contact you, communicate how they're feeling, telling you what they want. Invite your customers to say, tell us how we can make you happy. And maybe you can do that thing and maybe you can't, but half of it is just the customer being heard. And I think most of the times when brands apologize, by the time they're doing that, it's probably pretty empty. People are pretty pissed off or it's pretty meaningless and you need to do a lot more to listen ahead of time. Because I can't think of a lot of times where it will do you much good. Just saying you're sorry. And I know that's a humility that people want, but at that point they want you to do something about it. If you just say, sorry. Mm. Well, and sorry also suggests ownership of the problem. So like if your spokesperson hypothetically goes out and commits crimes... Is that something that you as a brand have to apologize for or do you just have to cut ties with the spokesperson? Right, which is what Subway did. They didn't you know? actually say sorry. Right. Because you literally. don't, sorry would mean like... They knew about it. Yeah. Right, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we just really love child porn spokespeople. It's just the, it's the way we like it. <laughs> Allegedly. Yes. I think most religious traditions, looking at the concept of apology and... Repentance and, yes, and grace. Yes. Exactly. It's always a twofold thing. You need to apologize, but then you need to make it right, whether that's through some form of punishment or works or reconciliation of some sort. But it's never enough to just say, mm, sorry. Right. There's something to be learned from that, I think, in business. If you're going to say you're sorry, you have to be prepared to do the second step as well. Do you think on the aggregate, 
there are too many brands saying sorry or too many brands not saying sorry? Are we in this sort of meaningless stage where people are cowering and not being bold enough to push through their plans and letting people shut them down or people lacking humility? Mostly, it seems like brands are having to apologize at an exponential pace at this particular moment. I wonder if we are working through the infancy of our social connection with one another and eventually we'll get to a more refined place where maybe we're not so reactionary and require being apologized to so frequently. But I don't know. I think it's the consequence of being so connected with one another. I think that's right. I think right now we're still in the era of social tools being used as a bludgeon for brands and they just are mechanisms to attack on whatever thing and then brands have to crawl under the covers and cower. And because they do that, it sort of perpetuates the cycle. And at some point we were like, you know what? Yeah, that's actually how we make our products. And that's why they're so cheap. And you like them to be cheap. So if you don't like it, pay more or, you know, like not that kind of tone, but obviously enough to actually defend the brand. I think there's a space for that. And we're going to start to see it. And consumers can do their part by reacting, maybe not with complete expediency when something happens that they don't like. Wait a day or two to see how the company handles it. If something terrible happens and the company doesn't do what you think it should do within a reasonable amount of time, then that's totally reasonable. But when something happens and the immediate reaction, and you're learning about it basically the same time that maybe the company's board of directors are, you get upset and you start complaining and you start the Twitter campaigns and that's just crazy town. It's sort of the equivalent of the backroom stock conundrum that stores have often had for years where it's like, do you have an extra one of these in the backroom? And that's sort of the equivalent of that in terms of news that the people's perception is that there's always a pre-knowledge of these events before they mm-hmm. become public. Yeah. And there's no backroom usually for companies anymore. It's no. all out front. Or they're hiding something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's crazy out front. Totally. One last question on this. It seems like there's a delicate timing between when you should react and say you're sorry and maybe potentially stoke the flames that aren't actually going to turn into a fire versus quietly letting it pass and creating a shitstorm where you're not responding and you're letting the narrative run away from you. How do you think about that timeline if you're a brand or even a small company? Should you be hyper vigilant and hyper responsive? And does what you normally do set a precedent? So if you're normally really responsive and suddenly you're quiet, obviously something's up. How do you think brands should think about that? You do set an expectation. The longer you've been in business, the longer you've been on social, that is what people will expect. So if you normally respond within 30 seconds, that's what they're going to expect. But hypervigilance and hyper-responsiveness, I think, is the enemy. You usually don't have all the facts when you're responding in immediate real time. And you may get yourself on a path that is much more difficult to pivot from than if you would just hold a couple of hours a day. You can always put something interstitial out like we're aware of this, we're looking into it. Thank you for contacting us. You know, as soon as we know something, we'll communicate that with you. I think that's good to be in touch and certainly not be quiet. And if you're going to have a very active social strategy, then you need to make sure you're ready to engage it when you're talking about things that aren't in your content plan because they are necessitated by events. That is a great point, which is that the social plan should always include a crisis component for exactly this type of thing. Well, this crisis section of the show is ending and we're moving on to the next (laughs) section of the show. It wasn't a crisis. We're not sorry. We're not sorry for it at all. 
The next section of the show is out there's and there there's. Out there's are things that we discovered or you sent to us that we thought were cool. And there there's are condolences on things we found that didn't go great and maybe could go better in the future. And we will offer some constructive criticism on why everyone else should be very sorry. It's kind of a theme of the show. Did you pick that up? <laughs> so let's start this week with Brian with your out there or there there. Mine is an out there for a television show that just came out on USA Networks called Mr. Robot. Mm-hmm. And what is really cool, not just the fact that it's a, the first television show that pretty much gets the cyber war hacking components almost all right, but more importantly, that it features a main character that is on the Asperger's spectrum and does it in a thoughtful way that also highlights the struggles of this particular kind of affliction. So it's a really cool show. It's really fun to watch, but it's also kind of has a multi-layered component to it. And the acting is really, really good. So forgive me for this maybe a stupid question, but do I have to have a cable plugged into a television to watch you this? You do not. I believe it's actually online. Oh, mm-hmm. good. Yeah, I think All right. they stream Excellent. episodes. Yeah, it's really cool. Awesome. What is it called? Mr. Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. Of course, that will be linked on the show page. You guys can check that and out. And for fans of Sega Genesis from the 80s and 90s, you will remember the typeface that is the primary element of the show. The blocky Sega? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I love that. That was our first gaming console at mm-hmm. my house. Yes. Even though I, I'm well old enough to have... We had an Atari, I guess. Anyway, irrelevant. <laughs> I apologize to our listeners for the waste of their time that I just did. <laughs> PJ, save me from this. Okay, so mine is an out there... I'm really excited about this because I feel like my concerns about robots are finally being taken seriously. (laughs) (laughs) So there are some grants from the Future of Life Institute, which is organized in Cambridge, Massachusetts. They're calling them doomsday grants. And the purpose of them is to study artificial intelligence and try to find ways to have it not kill us and take us over. So, some of these. This is so perfect. This is amazing. Do you I have was like, like a Google oh, alert validated. For this <laughs> Some of the projects include ways to make autonomous agents behave rationally in complex situations. So they said, for example, they might have an automated car weigh different risks posed by different actions in complex situations so that the car makes the best, most responsible, most ethical decision in any situation. Which is not always the most human decision. As Correct. we know from like the push the man off the bridge to save the four people thing. Well, and that depends on, you know, so now who's programming it. Right, like the moralistic what, programming. Right, what yeah. model are we following Great here? Great is good. Then there's another one where they're trying to develop ways for machines to explain their behavior to humans, which would be What are you amazing. doing? What are you doing, Hal? Yeah. <laughs> Why do you feel this way? Leave that alone. So, so these are I'm grants? I'm comforted. Yeah, so there are 37 projects that were funded with these grants. And I think it's $7 million in grants were funded in this round. Elon Musk of Tesla has given $10 million to this institute because, like me, He's afraid Elon of the robot is terrified apocalypse. of the robot apocalypse. Okay, so here's a disheartening question. Did they have an algorithm to score these grants? How and did, is that and AI just exactly. keeping them and they picked the ones most likely to <laughs> exactly. fail? So they, uh, yeah. The robots probably. chose the grantees. Probably. Mm. And really, it's just a big ruse, just facilitating our end. PJ, I'm surprised you didn't chat about the robot that killed somebody in Germany on the Volkswagen 
production floor. It was a production automation robot, and it smashed somebody. I did not it see that. It was a human error, supposedly, but this Allegedly. young Isn't engineer was crushed by a factory robot. See? Why does no one listen? The robot... This is going to happen. I think, you know, whatever. I don't think... <laughs> I don't think it's like, you are ugly. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It was in German. I don't speak That's German. True. Maybe. It wouldn't have sounded like that. <laughs> Austerity. <laughs> That's right. Der Krankenhausen, which is hospital. It's the only German word I know. Ah, so, yeah. yeah. Gonna have to learn some of those. Okay. Well, mine is not robot apocalyptic related, but it's actually just going back to our original topic. And it's a, they're there for the initial reaction to the whole Jared Fogel subway story because pretty much instantly Jared Fogel was a child porn fiend by the way that the community reacted. So they didn't really get the whole story. His house was raided because it was connected to a case of one of his associates in his foundation. Maybe he's guilty of something we don't know. Obviously, if you're going into someone's house and looking for evidence, there's some suspicion of connection, but that could happen to really anyone that ran into the wrong circles with other people and was part of an investigation. And I think it's important people remember that. I'm not defending anybody in this case, but it's probably not super productive that the Twitter sphere and Facebook and everyone was immediately indicting this guy for a crime that just because news broke that someone saw a raid happen. And that's really the only news happened. And that propagated this whole conversation about Subway I just hope that we're more responsible news consumers, especially in breaking news. And social media obviously makes it worse. Everyone was saying, Jared, the subway guy is a child porn guy. Well, no, we don't know that yet. Maybe, maybe not. So I was disheartened by that. I think those cases are really tough because, again, it's the end of the spectrum that we just find completely intolerable. Yeah. So there does tend to be, I think, a rush to judgment. Also, the evidentiary rules for those types of cases... And the line that you have for when you start doing raids and collecting things tends to be much quicker in those types of cases than in any other type of case. If somebody was dealing drugs, they may not rush in as quickly. They may have to prove more in order to get a warrant. Or they may want to see how far and how deep this yeah. goes. Yeah. Right. Child pornography cases tend to not be like that. Child pornography cases are also the only case that I'm aware of in which lawyers are required to break privilege to disclose the existence of pornography to prosecutors. So if I'm a lawyer and you come to me because you have a tax problem and I'm looking at your laptop and I see kitty porn on it, I have to immediately turn your laptop over to the U.S. Attorney's Office or the police. So because we see it as such a heinous crime, I think everything happens faster. And if this was a different type of crime, maybe his house wouldn't have been raided. He wouldn't have been called out to the van. Who knows? So do you think that the nature and the horror of the crime contributed to our group think very thin, making him guilty right away? Or do you think that's just our 140 character culture of, oh, Jared house was raided must be him. I think we have an assumption that if a story is propagated enough times, it must be true. Yeah. And, and we uh, fill in the blanks. Yep. Yeah. So I think we just sort of look for, we want a quick closure to everything. Much as we want a quick gratification for whatever happens, you know, I think we're looking for the same closure. And it's salacious, Mm -hmm. and it's something that we can understand. If you were accused of violating the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, I don't think that would get as much traction on Twitter, because it's not as interesting. It's way more nuanced. But this is like, right, it's scandalous. You get immediately what the nature of the crime is. And going back to those Germans, there's a bit of schadenfreude in it, that it's a recognized figure that was 
successful that is taken down. It's our Us Weekly culture, I guess, in, in that way, that it's a known figure that is fallible, and we like seeing our recognized names fail. Book recommendation, book by John Ronson called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. It's just come out, and he is a journalist who writes about different types of these cases that have happened over the years, like the woman who is in PR who tweeted about AIDS in South Africa. And he talks about why we as a society have the public shaming, the roots of its history, what it does to the person who's shamed, positive effects, negative effects. It's an interesting That sounds amazing. Yeah, because the crazy snowball that can happen in the social era is horrifying. It could happen to any of us. Always something to be mindful of. And on that uplifting note... Before any other breaking news happens that we need to overreact to, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. That was episode 64, the Mia Culpa edition for all the stuff we talked about on the show, including the interesting show that Brian recommended. You can check out the show page, graphicmachine.com slash ITTT. You can check us out on Twitter if you want to touch base, give us some ideas. At their podcast is the show, at Graphic Machine is our agency. Send us an email if you're into that sort of thing, ITTT at graphicmachine.com. And for every show, there's a Facebook thread if you want to come and discuss the things we discuss. That's at facebook.com slash graphic machine inc. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.